The I Am Man podcast is produced by men for men. We are here to support men through their individual journeys to authentic and holistic manhood. We believe men play an essential role in securing the future of generations and deserve to be seen and heard. Our podcast is a safe space where men from all walks of life can come and process through life's challenges to become the best versions of themselves. What's good, man? How are you, man? What's good, man? How you living? How you living? I'm living, man. I'm living well, man. I, you know, I, I'm a little upset because a little jealous. You got a whole year, bro, and I, it took me years to grow this little. Uh, it's, it's, I think it's finally starting to connect just a little bit. You know, you keep on. You got a, uh, you got a, you got a massage. I got a baby. Yeah, baby. Yeah, they just massage. I don't know, man. The the family building the bond. It's, it's been amazing. Even for the show. So I know this year is gonna be just as transparent and natural because you and I have an authentic relationship. So I'm just I'm excited. It's amazing. Like I um I don't I don't connect with a lot of people. I have different people on my show, but I don't connect with a lot of people as quick. And you know how you guys how you meet somebody and you're like, yo, it feels like I've I've known you for forever. It's, Chris is that type of guy. He's easygoing. He's driven. He's a he's a hustler. He out here. He's making it happen. And he has a book that I love. Y'all don't ever really see me endorsing people's book, but my own. But tonight, this is going to be a first one. Um, I am endorsing Chris's book. I have not uh, actually written it, but I am definitely endorsing this book. You must read. Um, I think, Chris, bro, you got a story um, that is phenomenal, man. So let's let's not even waste the preliminaries, dude. Tell me, like, who is Chris, man? Who's Christopher Boulder? Tell me how you wrote this amazing book. What is it about? Uh, so Broken, of course, man, is the story of a young man who was raised up like raised up in a very religious home, raised up by his grandparents. And uh, they, they, they take me through the trials of life. I learned what faith and a relationship with God looks like at an early age. Uh, as I got older and tried to rest through high school, that's when the challenges began to happen. Yeah. Um, when I get to the challenges, I wasn't mature enough to face them, nor did I have the wisdom. My grandparents and I wasn't upstoop to where they could literally teach me, educate me through school. So I felt alone. I felt like I had to, well, what's the old saying? Uh, pull yourself up by your bootstraps so the yeah. full speed. Uh, so, man, I just tussled with it until I got to the point where I was at a breaking point where I was just done with school. So I ended up dropping out. Uh, I love school, but you ended up dropping out. And that's when, the, that's when crowds happen. Ended up hanging with the wrong crowds, ended up beginning to dabbing into dr- drug-infested areas. And, you know, pretty much that's the story from now. So I ended up breaking out with Broken to share with somebody, some young man, some young lady, uh, that, man, you know, even through the trials of feet of life that we go through, there is hope. And I believe in a guy that, that does still to this day produce miracles. And I believe that I am a miracle child. So I'm, I'm just thankful that I, I got the opportunity to write Broken uh, because I didn't know how to, the best way to articulate the story. So I believe the spirit just really allowed me to just allow him to be the pinship. And I just just spoke words. So it's been it's been a it's been an awesome experience. I love sharing the story. I love talking about it. 
because I guess because I've lived that part. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, it's been uh, it's been an experience. Yo, that's really interesting. You said you lived that part. You know, most of the times people don't tell their story till after kind of they get over or after they come out of it. But one yeah. thing that I love about your book, um, you dive right into it. You dive right into it. Um, and you wanted up, your book is a story basically about you um, and going to prison, right? Going to prison um, and uh, going to prison for armed robbery, correct? Correct. Correct. So it's it, it, y'all. I'm not telling you anything he didn't put in the book. It's it's it's, 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 it's out here. Very good. You can ask. Do so. How long did you spend in prison? Before I answer that question, yeah. I do want to say this because I forget. I know me. I dive right into stuff. I want to thank uh, all the viewers. I want to thank everyone that purchased yeah. Broken Best this far uh, for for your support, your love. The testimonies from people that like yourself, uh, Rob, man, that read the book and just share with me, man, whether it was in tears or whether it was in joy or whether it was inspiration for them to reach out to a lost loved one uh, that, you know what, this motivated me to, you know what, to re- you know, to reconcile some relationships and some bridges because uh, they were living separate directions. So I just want to thank every last one of you guys. For those of you, even as you own the fence, I want to thank you for being on the fence for even considering. Uh, just uh, for for that, that means a lot. You just don't you just don't know. That means a lot for someone like me. I promise you, I thought no more than about ten people, twenty people was gonna purchase Broken, but Broken Man has sold quite a few copies, and I'm I'm just thankful. Broken has sold about three hundred copies. So just just from this in a short amount of period, just in the last six seven months. And with on that fact, uh, it's a short read. I thought about all my people who don't read, who hadn't read in a while. I just want to take you straight to the gist. And on top of that, bro, Rob, we dropped this thing in the middle of a pandemic. I can't complain. I ain't even, I ain't even tripping. Yo, you sold, you, you sold, you sold 300 books. Yo, let me get $10, bro. Come on. So I ain't even tripping. God is good. So I was in prison for six years. Wow. Six years. Wow. I was in prison for six years. So six, dude. So um, the reason why we're doing this show is because we want we listen, y'all. We are going to jump into the nitty gritty. We're going to jump into it because the truth is, I've never been to prison. I've never been to jail. I don't want to go. That's it's two places that I say I don't want to go. I don't want to go to hell, and I don't want to go to prison because I, I will not last. I'm too light skinned to be in prison. It won't work. And uh, yeah, I, yeah, it wouldn't work. Uh, but all jokes aside, man, could you paint a picture for us? What was prison like? Say the last part. What does prison look like? No, what was prison like? You know, I was trying to be classy with this microphone over here, but I think I'm gonna have to bring it up. So yeah, tell me, man. Can you hear me good? Oh, I can hear you well. Yeah, tell me what prison was like, bro. Prison is like a. It's cold. It's dank. Prison is a place of uh, loneliness. Yet you have many bodies around. Prison is a place of fatigue where you get emotional and mentally fatigued daily, on a daily basis. The only thing that allows you in prison to really stay sane and to really cope is to be more time consumed. I mean, wrapped around whether you're lifting weights, whether you're working out, whether you're just uh, uh, writing something or whatever it is that, that keeps you sane. Uh, that's one of the main things you can stay focused on in prison. If not, you can do prison the hard way. You can do time the hard way. What time does you, uh, where, where you're no longer, you know, you're not, 
when you've burnt, whether you have no family, no support, no encouragement, no one there, no one to to hold you. We don't have that. You're doing what I call time the hard way, man. Where it's tough, where you're 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 always emotionally drained. Prison is a world within a world. Uh, prison, I almost call it an absent hell with no fire. That's how prison right. feels. You feel like you're in a hell with no fire. Uh, no family is there. No encouragement is there. You don't hear a word from nobody. You you don't know what's going on outside of the parameters of the place of, of the environment or the place where you are. It's 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 painful. You're always wondering what's happening outside versus you have to learn to coexist right where you are. You're in a you're in a place full of strangers. You're in a place full of of whether murderers or rapists or whatever they may, whatever the crime may be, whatever they're in there for. They wasn't there for walking lady across the street. But whatever they're in there for, you're in there with them. And you have to coexist with them. You have to do life with them in a unique way, in a way of, I want to be a relationship with you, but I don't want it to go no probably no further than this, but I want to get to know you. Uh, so yeah, that, that's, that's sort of the gist from the mental perspective of what prison is like. Now, in your book, we talk about the purpose of what prison is or, or what it's supposed to be. So you talk about the three things. Can you tell me what the, what prison is supposed to do versus, versus actually what it does? All right, so prison, first off, Long story short, when I use some technical terms, prison is is an institutional, correctional institution that supposed to rehabilitate you back into society after you've done the crime or whatever you have done, after you served that time, what justice gave you. That's what it's supposed to do. It's supposed to be able to, supposed to be as a tool that corrects you to say, I've served this time, but in the midst of this time, this is the correction of the errors of my mental behavior, and I'm ready to prepare to go back into society. Well... You don't get that in prison. And more in prison, it's more of a profit. Mm. It's a profit that came off of your crime, off of your mishaps, your, be- your behavior, especially off of your social environment. Whether poverty, whether you was raised up there, that's that's the win for them. But on the other flip side of that, it does not, from the time you come home from prison, there's no help. There's no support, there's no place in you to cope back into society. There's no correction or no rehabilitation to help you decide to where, you know what, even though you made a mistake, what can we do to support you to where you don't make that mistake again? And that's what prison is designed to do, but it does not do. So basically, you're just, it's a holding cell, essentially. You're, basically, that's you're, all it is. It's a holding cell for you while you're doing your time. And then also, when you leave, it becomes a bigger cell because the spectrum is even wider for you statistically that you're going to go back and make the same error that you made before because the rates are even higher the second time or when you come home than it is just you're going to come back to prison than it was the first time. So why why is that? Why is that? Because like I told you before, you don't get no support when you come out. So your natural instincts on how you live in prison copes, catch this, how you live in prison now when you come home with no support no rehabilitation, no behavior changes, no moderation for new nutrition, water, toilet paper, and groceries, and you got no roof over your head, then most likely you're going to go back to a place where they provided there for free. So prison becomes a place of an easier way of living for a person that does not get the help that they need outside in society. So folks, because they don't know how to live outside, they rather say, yo, I'll go back to prison because at least I know I got food, I got shelter, I got a place, you know, I, I have relationships there. And so it becomes, wow. So it becomes easier. Dude. 87, 87% of my immediate family, by the time I was nine years old, 
had pending charges, all of them was on, had been in prison. 87%. Wow. So did with 87%, now knowing your story, in your book you talk about how you were how your mom how your mom was 12 years old when she had you you talked right. about how she abandoned you and y'all when i tell you i read this book i read this book she abandoned you by the age of 12 she was 12 years old when she had you she left you and abandoned you in the um in the hospital and you said 87 percent of your immediate family was already in jail pending charges and you had really never met your father. Do you think you were predestined to be in jail? I think about that sometimes. I think about that because when I was writing Broken, it took me longer to write Broken because a lot of things in the first seven chapters was the hardest to write the book because I had to revisit some stuff mentally and emotionally that I thought I was over but I was. I, I feel you on that. I understand that. This point, this point, this this point here, and in chapter seven point, it took me like six months to write two pages. You won't believe it. I'm being I, real. I believe it. it took six months to write two pages because I didn't know how to word it, not out of emotional from a little boy perspective, a little Chris, but I wanted to write it from pain yet present of maturity that I'm healed. I'm just going to share my story. Because I wasn't keeping in mind just myself. I'm keeping in mind my reader, and I'm keeping in mind the character that I'm talking about, such as my mom so and, and my father. So so when, I, when you ask the question, man, you think it's predestined for me to go to, to, go to, to, go to, to go to prison, predestined for me to go to prison geographically, I'll say no. But predestined for me that there was a better calling, that God had a purpose for me, I say yes. That place that he had in calling for me and intended for me, I don't know. Here's why. Because if I didn't get in trouble being a knucklehead, because I made the mistake, I can't pick that on nobody else. I got in trouble. By me getting into that, the Bible teaches you and I, it teaches us that all things work together for the good. Now, if all things work together for the good, Rastin, I can take your mess and turn it into a, a miracle. Now, I can't take, he can take anything. So I can take a test and test it, turn it into a testimony. We got that. That's good. But in the midst of that, if I would have made that mistake, would I have ended up in prison or would I have ended up at Harvard? Now, who's to say if I would have got to Harvard, would I have made the same different mistake? Life. That's life. I can't. We can't predict that. But did God have a plan for me and have something on the end for me? Yes. And he's getting the glory out of the very thing that you and I are doing right now of sharing the story from a perspective of me being healed to share hope with somebody else. Me being predestined to go to, to, go to, to, go to prison, I thought about that while I was in prison. And here's why. I was one of the first inmates to ever go from one camp to another camp to share my testimony. And then I was being pulled from the camp, which you still can do today, from go to different ministries and different churches to share the story. Now, I wouldn't get no glory out of that. Only God was. It didn't benefit me. I still had to go back to jail after I shared the story. But God got the benefit and God got the glory and lives were changed and souls were delivered. So that was mainly, that was the key. Will it, if for God, for God to reach that soul, reach that individual, would it take for you to go through what you got to go through? Yeah, I believe he allow you to go through it. 
Now, I, believe you. I think that's the spiritual. I think that's the spiritual component. But I also want to talk about social conditioning. Um, I also want to talk about social uh, kind of just social constructs. Um, some sociologists, some therapists would say because of your situation, because of what you were born into, that you were a prime candidate from the school to prison pipeline. Right. They talk, and I know you're familiar with that. Where, whenever there, right. where, where most uh, sociologists, uh, will, uh, researchers would say that pay, uh, that male men of color, specifically, who grow up without a father, who grow up in poverty, who grow up um, with you know within have you know all and experience different types of traumas, are fit, twice as more likely to wind up in prison. That's true. What 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 do you say to that? Our dark and brown brothers are most likely are are eighty two percent most likely to go to prison than any other race there is nationality there is. Um, that's because crazy. of because of what you say. I said that's crazy because of our economic and social and behavioral culture and background. It already candidates us to be through like you were just saying through the pipeline. Uh, Dr. Mueller, Professor Mueller, one of the advocates that even wrote within that, that pipeline of talking about that economically, that black and brown people will also be more candid and probably more likely because, not even not to, not to touch on too much history on this convo, but just because of the fact that when, when laws were written, they were written against brown and dark color. So anyway, just for us to advocate that and for us, you and I, to understand that, if they were writing laws against that, then obviously the laws were written and designed against us, not for us. And so now that these laws are against us, I have to maneuver through a system of, through financial, of through poverty, through low education, poverty education, low curriculum, whatever, you name it. I got to navigate through these parameters and still have a successful life. Without and, and the odds are also stacked against me because now I'm being raised up by my grandparents who don't know anything about Algebra 2 and Geometry 3, Geometry, and then 87% of them already don't touch, don't touch the ground. Yeah. And so now you're asking me to come up through it, through life, through this parameters of this chaos, and you're asking me to be somebody. Now, you said that your grandparents were Pentecostal preachers. Were they Kojic? Were they Apostolic? Like, were they? Apostolic. Oh, ooh, ooh, you, like me. Oh, yeah, I got you. I already understand. Bro, I didn't own a pair of shorts until I didn't own pair of shorts god knows until i was older and i didn't own a pair of jeans until bruh. i got in college man bro people be asking me like because all year long i never to this day i don't wear no shorts and it's just been like that it's <laughs> i wear gym shorts when i'm going to ball but i don't wear shorts and when i one day i was somewhere this couple years back i'm like why i can't get used to it? why i don't like shorts and then it just hit me I never had the chance to wear it. No, sir. And then my grandmother, I never seen my grandmother in a pair of pants before. Never. And you never want skirt. Skirting it out. Right. Just straight skirt. Look, we go to a cookout. She got on a skirt and t-shirt. You're not easy to tuck it in. Bro, my my grandmother to this day will wear, she been wearing that. I believe it's, I think she got like 10 of the same jean skirts. She got the long <laughs> jean skirt, the bobby socks, and the I Love Jesus t-shirt. That's, she been wearing that since I was five, bro. That's, that's my life. Listen, that was my life right there. Listen, that's, that, that, listen, I understand I it. Bro, side note, when I got my ears pierced, bro, oh. 
I was going to hell. And I don't know if you know, but I'm I'm pretty tatted up. And so, so when I got tattoos, bro, like when I think I got tattoos all the way up my arm and whatnot, bro, they they I was going to hell in the handbasket, bro. I think my mom still think I'm going to hell a little bit. She just probably won't say nothing. She probably don't want to say much. That was those were. That was it. Now, nah, but it was. Cool. I have a. I, I gotta ask this question. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I see you know. Oh God, Mother Phipps then got on here. Let me. Ch- <laughs> Listen, brother Phipps then got on here. I gotta behave now. But listen, yo. So this is this was my question for you though because a lot of the uh, most of us grew up in some form of church right in the black and brown community some type of religious right. setting whether they were muslim whether they were baptist whether they were pentecostal like black people went to church for the most part right. or they had some type of religious background now how is it that we are some of the most religious people but our children are the ones 50, almost 50 some odd percent of black and brown men, black, let's just say black men, 50% of black men are in jail or are in prison or have been incarcerated. How is it that the dichotomy is so, is so huge? How is it that because of we we are shouting, we're dancing, we're reading Bibles, we are doing all this stuff growing up. Um, but most of us grow up in poverty, right? But Correct. we have super uber religious backgrounds. You gotta talk to me, bro. What's where where where's this? If anybody who's listening live, if you can speak to this, I I, yeah. I definitely right. open I'm gonna put some verses off of what I'm gonna share. And if you want to tag on to what I'm gonna share, let's talk. We get condemned. Somebody says something. We get. I'm gonna read it. Hold on. Read that in a minute. We read that in a minute. I don't want to distract. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm gonna come. We're gonna come back to that. Thank you. Whoever posted that. Um. So we, here's two things. One. Let me sip my tea on so it can be good. Our fathers have been taken, taken from the house, from the presence of the house. That conditions us. We've been conditioned early. And two reasons on, and two opportunities on how we connect church, struggle, and Christ. Now, the way I've connected with Christ is different from how my grandmother connected with Christ. Now, from the early church, from slavery up until the day, Rob, they connect with Christ in parameters of ways. But one of the ways we connect with Christ, or they connected with Christ, my ancestors, was through the beatings. Mm-hmm. From plantations, from the beatings, however they do it, they connected that with Christ. And that was the way of their hope of glory. That was the way that they continued to inspire themselves that, man, there's going to there's gonna come a day. This too shall pass. How, whatever song you want to put with it, all the songs connected to this, that this is going to, one day this is going to be better. Nevertheless, they sure rest the truth in Christ. One of my things that I connected with Christ was not by our roots or our ancestors or the slave ships that I, I couldn't connect with that. I didn't live in that era, but I am associated with it. Uh, one of the ways I connected with Christ was that he met me in a place of bondage. And when he, when I met him in a place of bondage, he freed me even when I was still bound. So it, it also helped me be relatable from 
from how our ancestors or our grandparents or me, your grandparents, how they still came to church. Hoop and Halleck shouted up and down the hallways. They're tarried at the altar. Only thing y'all tarried back in the day. I don't know if y'all tarried. Hold on. Let me show you how let me show you how saved I am, bro. Like I I I still have a whole it's still bro, it's in here. Bro, they tarried all night. But here's the thing, they did all of that, and that's well. But they still went home frustrated. Mm. And so I'm wondering where in the world does 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 do I with my struggle, my challenges, my upcoming, my childhood, what does it connect with Christ at? Because the younger generation with you and I, we think we felt that you don't connect with Christ until you get older. The saints were seeking us, you connect with Christ as soon as you can. You and I didn't feel related or compatible to get connected with Christ at an early age and have a relationship. So we felt that this thing is more re- relevant to us than when we get older. You know, when I get about 40, when I get 45, when we calm down, I'm going to get a relationship with God. And that's not be the case. So now you and I are conditioned to where mom and them was preaching church, they was preaching gospel, they was preaching Christ. But now, man, we're at a place to where we're learning now, we're learning to have an authentic relationship within ourselves because from what, what we've seen and what we've heard from them to what we're experiencing now, sometimes I feel like there's two different gospels. Bro, tell me about it. Bro, I, I, I don't know, like, for instance, I don't know how, like, we always tell a story, oh, I grew up on government cheese. Y'all remember government cheese? Like, how, you know, how could, we grew up on government cheese, we grew up, you know, with, you know, on food stamps. There was a whole, and I, as I got older, I've really started to look at this. Yo, the man has always been removed. There was not, the ratio to men, of the, from men to women being in church was huge. And I didn't realize how dominated the church was of women. But here we are. They got, if they do have husbands, their husbands at home drinking, watching the game, if they do, or they're single moms, and they're single moms with kids looking for hope in church or looking for hope in Jesus or looking relief. I won't even bring Jesus. I'll just say church. Bringing, looking for relief and release in Jesus in church. But at the same time, there was this undercurrent happening with the with the younger generation, and it is we we are the generation of the youth explosions. We're the generation of you know uh, of, of of the Sunday schools and all that. But 50, oh. I'm I, bro, I'm preaching better than y'all giving me amens. But we 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 our generation was the one that I feel most of the time is most jacked up. We're the ones that are in therapy. We're the ones where 50 percent. Y'all do y'all hear me? 50 percent of black men wind up in prison or are in prison, have been in prison. And it's like, how was the dichotomy? Where like it doesn't line up for me. Another thing I don't agree with about the church, and this is just me, and if I'm coming for the church, y'all tell me pump my brakes. It's cool. But I do agree with the fact what you were saying, Rob, just a second ago. But one of the things I have against the church is that we tell we tell these guys on the streets, yo, y'all come to church, come to church. But when they come to church, we give them no practic no practicality, no nothing, no substance. We don't relate to them in no but kind you know of way. Why? I gotta interrupt you here, bro. You know why? You know why? Because 
we oh y'all about to get mad at me they about to be pissed off at me because of what i'm about to say but i'm gonna say it because this is my show and i can say what i want come on the reason why they can't live and give practical advice because they can't live there they don't like the lives that they live practically we're gonna end this broadcast they don't Lord, I, I quicken there. They rock. They don't like the lie. They don't like the lies that only have we done, the faults and our issues and our challenges. But we too phony to share them. Not with the brother that needs them. Not, so they can not, get not the fact that they're phony. Like and and so part of my story is that my mother didn't tell me who my father was until I was almost 25 years old. Uh, so it's not that I believe because, like for instance. Church is the and we gotta get past this, but this is a whole thing. Church it's is the only place; it's been the place of empowerment for people of yeah. color for years since slavery. And black people, or black people, we're the only people who can be doctors in church and be the janitor at work. We could be chief apostle X, Y, and Z. But then at work, be on the lowest totem pole, be at the lowest totem pole, because the church now, now a mother's fit, she get mad at me now, but I'm, I'm going to say what I, I got to say it. And it's nothing wrong with being a janitor. But what I'm trying to say is the dichotomy between who people are socially and economically in the world and who they profess to be in the church, oftentimes it's a mountain in between it. So in church, we evangelist so-and-so, we prophet so-and-so, we bishop so-and-so, we 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 chief apostle so-and-so, but we still live in the hood. There's still violence in our community. Our kids are still being locked up. Yo, this is it. Where, where my question is, where and I'm gonna say it like I feel it. Where the hell is the gospel? Because it's supposed if this thing is supposed to be lived out in your life. The problem is we have been intoxicated and we we've been intoxicated by the intoxicated by this facade of because I'm great in God, then I that's all I need, right? Like no, your kids don't, and I'm coming for y'all today. Everybody who's a, who's a super who's a super apostle, who's a super bishop, who's a super prophet, and your kids locked up. A super prophet, super apostle, but but you can't speak to anybody. The community around you is dying and suffering, but you have an uh, anniversary every doggone quarter and you having an anniversary service every doggone quarter and people around you are dying and going to hell, not even going to hell. They're living in hell. And you're trying to create heaven on earth because you don't like the life that you live outside of that pulpit and out of the four walls of the church. I okay. said it. But anyway, we're going. Uh oh, I, we're going for in trouble. I, I'm already in trouble. I'm already out here, brother. I, I might as well be out here. So oh my God. the dichotomy of that. And this is why I think and I'm saying this because we need as much as people need reform for who come out of prison, who need reformation. I believe the church needs reformation on how to deal with these people who need help the most. 
Like, yo, take some of your church budget and go help somebody who's trying to, you know, what are you who trying to get their life together? If the church ain't the space, if we're not the people, we're running for the government to do it. The government is making money off of black people. Prisons are making private funded prisons are making money hurting us like cattle. And we shouting and dancing and having praise breaks and bumps and people are son, not, not just people. Let me make this clear. These are our sons. These are our fathers. These are our uncles. These are these are our children. And man, let me say and I'm going to say this because I feel it in my Shondo. I'm going to say it. Yo, Chris. And to every man that it, that has been incarcerated, that has that is trying to find his life, and I feel a release on here. I want to say I apologize. I apologize on behalf of the church who should have been there for you, who should have had programs, who should have had resources, who should have put money on your books, who should have made sure that you had a place to go, that you had food to eat. I apologize. And Chris, bro, I'm looking at you and I want to say I apologize on behalf of the church because we failed you. I appreciate that. We failed you. And I think I have the authority of who I am in the church, serving as a leader in the church for 20 some odd years, traveling the breadth and width of this country and other countries, preaching the gospel, helping building churches. And we weren't there for you. That's like we us. We're trying to do farm missions, going to Africa, trying to build water gates or, or, or do farm missions. And our sons are locked up in prison, don't know who they are. And they're trying to survive in their in environments that demean them wow. and demine them. Let me share this. Let me share this story. I, um, I love going to the prison. And shout out to the churches, man, that I've connected with over the years. This is just a few. It's a handful. It's a handful out there that are sincerely going into the prisons and reaching uh, reaching, the, uh, reaching those. And I won't call a lot of those churches out. I won't call them out by name because I don't want to exclude anyone or forget somebody. And they be emailing me tomorrow. I'll be like, bro, you forgot about it. You didn't mention me. Uh, so just thank y'all. Y'all know, who my, y'all know my heart. I've connected with many of them. So the ones that I have, they know. Uh, I was talking to a pastor recently and uh, he was asking me, well, we were just kind of chatting about preaching. And I was telling him one of my favorite places to go, man, is actually in prison. Those men in there are hungry, they thirsty, they latch on to every word, they write down every word. I just love going in there. I said, would you go? He shook his head, no. And it wasn't to the fact that there's lost souls in there that need to hear the gospel. It was to the fact that you're more in, in tune of fearing of the environment that you're going into more than you're in reverent in fearing and putting your life on the line to go to the person. And I was just thinking about my, it hit me. It, it bothered me for a moment. I didn't let it be known, but it bothered me to think like, what if I was in there? Because Rob, I'm saying this, I'm saying this to say this. When I was out selling drugs and out on the street corners doing my thing, not one person ever walked up to me and shared the gospel with me. Not one person. No. Now one person came and gave me a pamphlet. Now one person ever called up. Now that one person ever hit me up and said, "Hey man, hey, there's a better way. You ain't gotta do that. You lay that." Now one person ever walked up. But let me t- and can I speak to this? I think, yeah. bro, because and have, being somebody that's been in that position before, I think it's because of fear. Not to excuse it, but because it's we over here and you over there. 
And remember, most of the people who didn't, Lord have mercy. I, I, we ain't having a real spiritual conversation, but I'm, ha- I'm going all. No, I, all I, t- I, I'm trying not to take it all no, the way spiritual. Listen, but that was one of the reasons why, and we got it for number two question. You asked the number two with the second portion number two. You said you got it quotated. Fear in the book, and for those of you who hadn't, or those of you who read, uh, broken. This I wrote in there. Remember the piece that I said, "Fear pushed me." Um. All the way to the point to where I ended up at the back door of another man's apartment. And we, that's what we was getting ready to go do the home invasion at. I said, fear pushed me. Not money motivated me, not drugs motivated, motivated me, not, not some other determined. I said, fear pushed me to that point. And so when you just talk about just now, you say you think it's fear. Let me ask you which one is greater. Me selling drugs, walking around a pistol, in my pocket, selling dope, dope, thinking I'm bad, creating un- invisible enemies, or me sharing the gospel with you just to tell you that Christ loves you. Which one has more greater weight? Hmm. Which one has more greater weight, Rob? Yeah. Which one is more? Which one pitch? Which one pitch your life on the line? Yeah. So, so I'm, so I'm thinking to myself when you say something like that, like, nah, I ain't doing that. You know what? What fear? What that fear is? It doesn't benefit them nothing. That I don't, when I'm going into the prisons and stuff to speak to those guys, I don't post that on Facebook for likes. I don't get hearts for that in my stories. I, it don't benefit me. And we live in a day and age with church that I have a problem with. They don't do anything that don't benefit them. Whoa. That's what I got a problem with. Whoa. I'm done on my tangent. I'm done. I'm done with the church. I'm getting off of it. We're going to talk about broken. Dude. But that's what fear Fear pushed me to do that. That my fear that I felt that night that I've done that that morning was a different kind of fear than the fear that they have walking beside a dr- passing a drug dealer. Oh, they ain't even got to be that passing somebody in our six man that their mother has abandoned them and they're staying with a in a foster care or, or whatever their situation may be, trying to get off of drugs, dealing with relapses, whatever it may be. They could be that. They can, it could be the doctor that's driving the, the Porsche. He ain't no saving in the next person. He still need Jesus too. So what's the fear? It doesn't benefit you. That's what it is. I think fear, that fear is stingy. Go ahead. I think that's a part of it. I think that could potentially definitely be a part of it. I also think too that we also have to remember that the people who are in the church are broken people who are pursuing Jesus for wholeness themselves. Not to, and you know, I just did that whole piece before. Not, not, but I, I got to be well rounded. And I'm not saying they're definitely. We definitely need to leave the four walls of the church, and we definitely need to leave our 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 self um, praising traditions and all that stuff that we do. And we need to reach. We definitely, and I think Chris has a point. We need to reach out to people who need our help. Who need it is our job. It is the church's job to be the hands and feet of Jesus and to be the heart of Jesus in the world. And we that's can't do that when everybody's trying to be the head. That's the that's the gospel. I mean, that's. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how you and I, Rob, if you and I are broken, having this conversation in your living room that we're dealing with some internal stuff, and we want somebody to reach out for us, even if we've tried numerous of time to have conversations. Well, and, and how do you reach those broken people if? If you're not extending a hand to say, "Lo, we're here," but 
want to offer a, a helping hand, just even advertise that is it, good. And I, so let's and so what Chris is saying is, yo, that drug dealer that you see, yo, those people that you see, oftentimes we don't know what's going on in people's lives. And I say this all the time: every person represents a world. Every person represents a, a world, and they. You don't know what's going on in their world at that moment. So don't be afraid to reach out. Don't be afraid to say, hey, I'm praying for you. Hey, what's going on with you? It ain't got to be a long, deep conversation. Um, you could drop a little a little seed. Yo, Jesus loves you. I love you. Something that would help uh, that would help them um, along their journey. We got to move on, man. I want to know. Yeah. I want to know, man. Um, what was life like in prison? And the reason why I asked you this question is because there was a section in your book that really stuck out to me. And in the book, you talked about your story about um, the, the one of my favorite parts about your book is when you said um, when you were uh, painting the picture about you being in the courtroom and the judge gave you the sentencing and your, you heard your grandmother or who you call your mother Cry out, Chris. And you said in your when you said when you heard that, that it almost it almost said it almost it it, it kind of uh, you said it literally made you freeze. And I remember when you said you knew then a shift took place in your mind. I got to serve this time. And you said a, 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 a sentence that stuck with me that I think a lot of men can uh, and a lot of people can identify with. You said, and I quote, I was in a place where nobody cried, but I needed to. All right, I'm gonna try to. All right, I'm gonna try to talk about. I'm gonna try to share what I can share. Chapter seven is very touching, man. It is. It's very touching. I don't talk about it to many people. I'm hoping there would have been enough. Chapter seven is touching, bro. Uh, so my grandmother is dear to me. That's that's mama. She's big mama. She's that adhesive to the family. She keeps all the strings together. Uh, big mama, mama was there with me in the courtroom and the judge is reading out to me my sentences and he asked me, did I have any last words to say? And obviously I didn't. But my grandmother stood up to that and she shared some words. Just a moment of her standing beside me as I sat in the chair, I could feel, I could feel her fear. I could feel it. It was like an aroma, aroma that was just drifting from her body. And I could just smell the fear of that. She didn't know what was about to happen next, but I did. Her hands was trembling, her voice was shaking, and she just didn't know. And I was scared. When it, uh, she finished sharing a bit, and she sat down, the judge asked me to stand. He gave me my sentence. I never looked back at Mama after he gave me my sentence. I didn't want to see her face. I didn't want to see anything. As I began to... As the bailiff, the bailiff become behind me to handcuff me, that's when life got real. 
my grandmother, I heard, uh, you know, like them old wooden pews in church, when you stood up, when you stand up, you get things stretched, you need that WD-40. I can hear it behind me. Mama was a little heavy set. Mama, you know, you can you can hear it when she moved. And when mama stood up, I could hear her standing up. She yelled my name, Rob, and I still hear that to this day through my ears. And every time I think about it, some, it just makes me emotional because I can hear that scream, that scream. And I didn't want to put this in the book because I couldn't get the words together. I can explain it now, but I couldn't articulate it in the story. So I deleted it. But that scream, I want you guys to hear that scream. That scream sounded so much as if you're screaming for a child who's crossing the street and not paying attention and there's a car coming. That scream was, the way she screamed my name was, it was more than just a scream in courtroom that I'm going to prison. She screamed my name so loud that she was wanting me to halt. And I'm talking about halt in life. Like she was saying, Chris, she screamed it like, Chris, you need to halt. Like you're moving too fast. You're doing too much. You're going... Where you're going now is the place I can't I can't help you at this point. She screamed my name so much. The way she screamed it sent shivers through my body. Bruh, it shiver, it shook me. I thought I had the Holy Ghost. It shook me so bad to where I stood there for a second and I wanted to just scream back at her and just in tears and bawl out crying. But at that moment, it hit me in this courtroom as I looked at the judge, as I looked at the DA. I looked at the bailiffs. I looked at the. I looked at the uh, the jury. I looked at other people. I noticed nobody had any emotion on they faced. Nobody had no emotion. Nobody. They, it was like me and her were the only two coexisting in this room. The only ones that felt pain, grief, uh, uh, absent death. We was the only two that felt this. And I was like, maybe this isn't the place to cry. Maybe there isn't a place. Maybe this isn't the place where you cry. But I needed to get this out before I went to where I was going. And to this day, man, I could never get the strength to look back at mama, man, because I knew she was gone, bawling in tears. And I just didn't want to walk to this to this jail in an emotional abrupt or breakdown to where I didn't have the strength to keep myself together. So I withheld it, and I withheld it for six years. Yeah, that's chapter seven. That's chapter seven. You said you held that cry for six years. I held it for six years. Held it for six years. What would you say to the man or woman who's holding it, who's still holding their cry? That it's okay not to be okay. And that the pain and tension that you're feeling, guilt of, of despair, um, whether you feel that you're on your last, and I mean your last dime, and you feel like there's no hope, I want to tell you that your hope is in your tears and that your joy is in your tears. You releasing that for you to be, be stronger is right there in your breakdown. Because I believe that your, your, your breakthrough comes right, right after a breakdown. And I don't think you can bounce back from this if you don't allow your ball to hit the ground first to come back. So just, just allow yourself to just let it go. Allow yourself to go to where the place that you're scared to go to. And allow those emotions to take its toll. Because if you continue to hold on it and hold on it, 
it, it, it goes to a place that you haven't been. It, it, it creates a dark void. It creates a hole in your heart. It creates resentment and bitterness. And you begin to just be a place, a person of, of fear and rejection. So allow yourself to not be okay. That it's okay to not to be okay, to feel how you feel. And that there's nothing wrong with that. Because I know a man named Jesus that can mend those pieces back together as you allow yourself to deal with the process so that you're going through. So it's okay. It is there is hard is it is really okay. Chris, that's powerful, man. And the strength that it took to carry that for six the, out of every section in this book, and I read the book, <laughs> that's the part that stood out to me. I was in a place where nobody cried, but I needed to. What did that cry look like when you did finally cry? What did it sound like? It sounded awkward. It was silent at first, and then a roar became behind it. The roar eventually came. But I learned to know that every time I did begin to allow myself to cry more and more, a sound began to develop behind it. And when I embraced the sound, whether it was uncomfortable in the beginning or not, I realized that the, the little Chris was leaving as the man Chris was, was developing. And it was so when I developed this roar, I felt God, it was my voice that was coming. Now I can speak. I, I see Chris now, I feel Chris. Uh, but but, but the, the silence that I lived in for so many years I was playing little Chris and playing the victim uh, and looking for somebody to come save me. When God was saying, you, didn't need, you don't need to save me. I'm here. I'm here to rescue. But I just need you to let it out. And the more and more I began to let it out, the more and more I went, whether it was me in my car by myself, me walking down the street talking to myself, more and more I let this sound out. It was real awkward, real uncomfortable, like a little cub, like a little lion. Uh, I let that sound out more and more. Then it developed into a roar. And then that's when I began to just realize that, man, I'm walking, I'm developing to be a king. And then that's when I just began to walk in that sound. And now when I cry, it's the sound of joyce. It's the sound of victory. Um, it's the sound of victorious. It's the sound of vision. It's the sound of desire. It's the sound of ambition and determination. And no matter what challenges is in front of me, I, 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 all I see in the end result is victory. So, uh, cause I've been through my worst. And so, I mean, I don't see anything stopping me now. Wait a minute. Did you just say that? Say what? Bruh. Yeah. You said, <laughs> yeah, bro. Yeah, I, I I hope y'all heard that. Y'all should share and like that. Yo, he, you said as you begin to cry, this transition happened from victim to victor. Little Chris got put away, and King Chris started showing up. That's 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 some ball stuff right there. That's that's powerful. Oof. Yo, man, that's that's crazy. So for people who and men who men, let's say, who are out of prison right now, who maybe just got released, 
who are trying to find their way, man. Um, how, 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 what do they do? Same thing they was doing. See, it's, it's no formula to this. And I think that was one of the failures that I had, that I had to learn to cope with when I first came home, because I'm trying to, Sometimes you know, I'm still here. Sometimes I'm trying to catch up with what I lost. You don't, you don't gain that. You live that. Well, how many years you spent in prison? My man Ron just popped on here. I see you, baby. He spent 20 years. We slept beside each other for the last maybe eight months or so before I came home. He spent 20 years in prison. You can't. He can't come home and try to re- restore 20 years of what he what he lost. Neither could I. I couldn't restore that. There's no formula to that. You got a lot of mending to do, as far as with family-wise and things of that nature, whatever you know, whatever obstacles and challenges that may be there. Yeah, you got to deal with that. That's life. But you continue to live. You continue to live. And here's the main thing, Robert. That a lot of men that I want to say, whether you just come home or didn't, or, or just not coming home or, or about to, those of you that have an opportunity to have a loved one that's locked up uh, or incarcerated, that you got a chance to write and speak in their ear. I want to say, I want to share something with you. I want to share this with you. They need to come home with a plan. If they don't come home with a plan, 87% of the chance they're gonna end up going back. You gotta have a plan. And it ain't gotta be a million dollar plan. Ain't talking about opening up no CEO Fortune 5, we ain't talking about none of that. I'm talking about a plan to just be successful, to just do right, and have his goal set, have her goal set. Look to stay sober. <laughs> to just do this. To just have a have a have a support friendship. I mean, solid support of friends because you can't share it with everybody because everybody ain't built the same. So, so that's that's one thing. Chris done when I came home, I got yoked up with some brothers that can handle my weight. That's that's key. They can handle my weight because I got some stuff, but they can handle my weight, and I don't have to worry about hearing it again or you coming to me saying I heard. That these people here are weight carriers. And one thing about weight carriers, they know what to do with weight. They know how to lift it and put it back on the rack. So, so I don't need weight carriers holding my weight and drop it on the floor for somebody else to pick up. So be mindful of, uh, of when you surround yourself with some folk. You need to get with some folk that can, uh, that can handle your weight. That's what keeps me going. Well, if, let us watch between me and thee while we're absent one from another. Listen, yo, Chris, man, you have straight spat that fire. And let me say this to everybody who heard. Yo, this is the first time that I've invited somebody on the show to co-host this entire month with me. So we go on. So this is just the beginning of this conversation. Chris is going to be rocking with me all month. We're going to have different panels. We're going to be having different guys that uh, who have been to prison, who have been to jail. And they're doing it. They're tr- they're living their life. They're trying. They um, have found new hope. They're living new lives. We're gonna talk. We're, we're gonna talk about everything full circle. And I want to s- go ahead. What'd you say, Chris? No, I said that's it. We're gonna be in it. We live. We, we live. live. We live. We. So this is gonna be the- Merry Christmas, everybody. This is what we're talking about. I'm gonna. Gi- we're gonna give you the the the. We're gonna give you um, the gift of reconciliation. Reconciling with yourselves Reconciling with your loved ones Reconciling with people Who need you the most That's what's up So But before we get off of here Yo We've been Chris We've been out with This show is long But it's good Yo it was 
Yo, so I want you guys. I want hey, you. Hey, somebody got a question. Is it too late? Let me see. All right. This encouraged me to keep pressing towards the mark. Let me see. And I know, mother. You're going to get in trouble. What'd you say? I think somebody had a question. Let me see. Okay. I agree some of the fathers have not been in families, but what it, what I look at is what fathers teaching sons, how they're actually teaching emotions. I, I think she said I had a question for Chris. Yeah. Did she? You're going to get in trouble. Well, listen. You're going to know what the saints. Listen. You get the emails, you're going to get in trouble. Listen, I... I Matter of fact, but while we're while we're waiting for questions, if you guys have any questions, please definitely um, feel free. Chris, what's your website, bro? ChristopherBolder.com. If you got a I question, Alex from GoDaddy, my name worth eight hundred dollars. What? I wonder what it worth now. I'll go back and look again. So listen, this is what I want you guys to do. If you have a question, oh, I see the question. Wait, okay. You see it? She said it'll take too long. So just send me your questions, and we'll we'll air them on the next show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Send it in. Send it in, please. This is the book that I want you guys to get. This is Chris's book called Broken. It's available at ChristopherBoulder.com. The website is the link. The website to order his book is below. Get this book, read it, enjoy, join with us in this conversation. Yo, there's a, there's a powerful story in here. Chris, um, he's, as you hear, as you've heard from him, he's the truth. Oh, he's the truth. I see you guys have questions. So, uh, yeah, Ronald got questions. So, say again? What time to show him? Bro, the show's supposed to been over, but we we just we just we 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 just out here, bro. So we we out here. So we might as well be out here. Listen, this is the book. I want you guys go ahead. I want you to ask the questions in the chat. Why, if you're there, you got questions, definitely ask them. But this is. But why are you doing? That? I'm gonna promote this book. Yo, get this book, Christopher Boulder. I'm not getting anything from out this book. All this money going to Chris. But he gonna give me ten dollars though. Um, yeah, I'm gonna give him ten dollars for the shout out. Get 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 this book. I also while we're waiting for your questions, I also want to um, advertise this book. My my recent book. Um, it's called What Every Man Needs to Know. Um, it's not available at ChristopherBolder.com though. But you can. It is available at What Every Man Needs to Know. Info. Yo, grab this book. It'll be a blessing to you. It'll be a blessing to your life. Um, get it. It's a great stocking stuffer for the man in your for the men in your life. Get it for your brother, your father, your uncle, your nephew. Um, they'll love it. And last but not least, um, I want you guys to go and grab my new children's book, Little Brown Boy. Um, it's available in English and in Spanish. It's www.littlebrownboys.com. Um, it's a book for young men, and it speaks to the little brown boy, to every brown and black man. 
The I Am Man podcast is produced by men for men. We are here to support men through their individual journeys to authentic and holistic manhood. We believe men play an essential role in securing the future of generations and deserve to be seen and heard. Our podcast is a safe space where men from all walks of life can come and process through life's challenges to become the best versions of themselves.